Welcome to Songcraft. I'm Scott B. Bomar. And I'm Paul Duncan. Songcraft is the show that brings you in-depth conversations with the creators of great songs, from the ones you know and love to the ones you should know. Be sure to subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts, and visit us at songcraftshow.com. You're listening to Portland, Oregon, written and performed by multi-Grammy Award winner, American music legend, and our guest on this 50th episode of Songcraft, Loretta Lynn. The Kentucky native married as a young teenager, moved to Washington State, and had four children by age 20. She poured her energies into life as a homemaker before teaching herself to play guitar and write songs. Her life experiences informed her writing style, which gave voice to the concerns of everyday working-class women. Loretta landed a record contract with a regional label and tirelessly promoted her first single, I'm a Honky Tonk Girl, to radio stations across the country. The record climbed to number 14 on the Billboard Country Chart, leading to a move to Nashville. After appearing on the Grand Ole Opry and signing a songwriting deal with the Wilburn Brothers Publishing Company, she was recruited to Decca Records by a legendary producer, Owen Bradley. Loretta went on to place more than 75 singles on the Billboard Country Chart as either a solo artist or as a duet partner with Ernest Tubb or Conway Twitty. More than 50 of those singles hit the top 10, including 15 number one hits. Many of her classic songs were self-penned, including Dear Uncle Sam, You Ain't Woman Enough, Don't Come Home A-Drinkin' With Lovin' On Your Mind, Fist City, Your Squaw Is On The Warpath, Rated X, The Pill, and Coal Miner's Daughter, which NPR named one of the 100 most significant songs of the century. She has received a combined 21 awards from the Country Music Association and the Academy of Country Music, including the ACM's Artist of the Decade Award in 1979, the Pioneer Award in 1994, and the Crystal Milestone Award in 2014. She became the first female to win CMA Entertainer of the Year honors in 1972 and became the first female ACM Entertainer of the Year in 1975. Loretta was inducted into the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame in 1983, the Country Music Hall of Fame in 1988, and the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 2008. She received Kennedy Center honors in 2003, earned the prestigious BMI Icon Award in 2004, took home a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award in 2010, and was presented with the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2013. She has sold more than 45 million records worldwide, was the first woman in country music to receive a certified gold album, and has been a member of the Grand Ole Opry for nearly 55 years. Well, I would say that congratulations are in order for both of us. Yes, if we may toot our own horns. Let's, this is the only forum where we are allowed to toot our own horns. It is the only time our horns will be tooted in any <laughs> forum. <laughs> this is the 50th episode of the Songcraft podcast. They said it couldn't be done. They said, the people said it would never happen, that you and I would never be able to work together for this long. <laughs> they said we would implode. <laughs> <laughs> you know, e- even though we were uh, in a band together in high school, we could never get up to 50 gigs. No. Because, you know, creative tensions. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, though, thinking about when we first started talking about this idea to do this podcast, um, 50 episodes... Yeah. I didn't know that we'd get quite this far. I thought we might fizzle out or get bored with it or right, right. something. But. Yeah, it's become quite the adventure. I actually remember, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, you and I were having lunch at uh, Bayou Grill right here in, in Inglewood, California, which, of course, is the international uh, headquarters of the Songcraft podcast. Right. And um, you said, man, we talk about music all the time. We should start a podcast. 
And, uh, and I said, I don't know if I've ever heard of podcasts. And you said, yeah, me neither. <laughs> but, so, but we should have one. But we should do, since we know nothing about it, we should do that. And we you know, did. Story the rest of my life, too, man. <laughs> Um, but it has worked out uh, remarkably well. We quickly educated ourselves on uh, what podcasts are, how they work. I think we're still learning, right? <laughs> but uh, it, it's fun to learn on the job. Yeah, please don't write us and tell us that you think we're still learning. Um, <laughs> we but, know we're yeah. already, we're well aware. Well, you know, we we saw this fiftieth episode coming up, and you know, I wanted to do something special. Yep. Wanted it to be a special episode, and had some ideas and some things we kicked around, and then the opportunity to interview Loretta Lynn. Yeah, came up yeah. and I think we both knew this is it and when you really think about like iconic country music singer songwriters I mean you got Loretta Lynn you got Dolly Parton you got Willie Nelson and they're kind of the last of that ilk I mean Johnny yeah. Cash is gone Waylon Jennings is gone you know that really just absolutely like legendary status um, of, of country singers and writers from that era. So, you know, we, you know, Merle Haggard was somebody that we were pursuing and we were having a conversation with, with his publicist at the time that he passed away. So, yeah. you know, we didn't get to do that one, which would have been amazing. Um, so, but we've wanted to talk to Loretta, um, since the very beginning of this thing and have been actually actively pursuing, uh, getting that interview all of yeah. this time. And maybe this is a fitting end to the whole thing. We're done. We're, it's it. we, I mean, <laughs> how can it get any better? Right? I mean, did you hear all those accolades when I was reading the I mean, how how much I didn't. more decorated? <laughs> I never listened you, to the You intro. don't listen. That's when you're <laughs> that's when you're daydreaming. That's when I'm doing my makeup for the podcast. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I haven't I haven't had the heart to tell you it's not uh, not on video yet, but Whoa. Uh, yeah. You know, how did you get Loretta to agree to talk to us? Not that uh, we're not cool and awesome and everything, but seriously, right, right. how did you... Yeah, she wasn't begging. Uh, right, yeah. <laughs> um, no, actually, uh, in 2014, shortly before we started this podcast, I w happened to be in Nashville. I wrote this uh, book called Southbound, which is a history of, of Southern rock, and I was on my book tour, and I was in Nashville, and Loretta was playing at the legendary Ryman Auditorium, where the, the Grand Ole Opry, you know, originally was, or, or at least where it was in its right. most, like, legendary heyday. Right. And um, I got the chance to go backstage and to meet her. And um, that kind of came about through her daughter, Patsy. Mm. And so that was the first time I met Patsy, really, officially as well. And so we kind of began this conversation, and I would email her and say, hey— you think there's any chance your mom might do this podcast, you know, once we got up and running. Um, and she said, yeah, I think mom would, would love to do that. I think that'd be great. But it was just the sort of thing where we were never able to actually kind of right. nail something down. Um, but we had this great episode recently with Marla Cannon Goodman. And uh, she is friends with um, with Loretta and, and her family and writes songs with Loretta's granddaughter, Emmy Rose. And um, so actually it was kind of through that that I think we kind of popped back up on the radar of the Lynn family and Patsy was kind enough to, to make it happen. But it was like a, it was a night before kind of thing. Like, okay, mom can do this tomorrow. <laughs> right, right. And, uh, and we mobilized. Yeah. We mobilized well, that's, big that's time. That's what we do. Yeah. We that's got, we you do. gotta be ready, man. Well, in addition to this being an amazing episode, an amazing milestone for us, I feel like just in the way that this little moment has gone, that we should also be getting some free food from Bayou Grill. 
pretty uh, soon for agreed. that that plug that you agreed. just made for them. Yeah, that's uh, you know that was an unpaid uh, sponsorship. Yeah. We got We should be more savvy. Maybe we could uh, we could become millionaires off this podcast. <laughs> yeah, so, so far not on track for that. But uh, <laughs> but if if we can work that out, I'm sure. Uh, hey, I'm sure if my I wife could get a po' boy sandwich, yeah, that's totally. a good that's a good start. <laughs> well, uh, let's uh, let's get into uh, talking to Loretta. Yeah. Loretta, welcome to Songcraft. Thank you. You know, I think most people associate you with the South. I mean, particularly Kentucky, where you grew up, and Tennessee, where you kind of built your career. But you actually started your music career in Washington State and California. Um, I'd like to hear about the difference in what was kind of going on in Nashville at that time uh, versus what was going on on the West Coast, where you got started. You know, that's a question that's hard for me to uh, answer because I had moved to the West Coast. Me and my husband got married, and we moved right next to the Canadian border right? in Washington State. So we were there 15 years. So really, I don't know what Nashville, uh, the scene and stuff was, you know, how they were. Yeah. yeah. And I just started writing and done my own thing, and I guess it, it paid off. Right, right. And and I understand that, that you and Buck Owens uh, crossed paths in those days. Tell me about that. Well, first time I was on TV, Buck was having his TV show. So my husband went down and asked Buck if I couldn't be on his show. And uh, Buck had already seen me. He said, you bet. Bring her down. Yeah. Well, right in the middle of taping the show, it was taped, you know. Right. uh, Dude turned his drink over. (laughs) (laughs) Bang. Had to stop right then, start all over. Right. I got mad at him because I told him he was messing me up. Right. That's great. Well, earlier this year, you released an album called Full Circle, which opens with the song Whispering Sea. Whispering Sea, rolling by, now don't you listen to me cry. I cry as though my heart is broken too. Oh, how I love him so. Now, you've described Whispering Sea as the first song you ever wrote, and the original recording of that song was actually one of the very first things that you uh, ever recorded. And I believe you got the opportunity to actually get into the music business thanks to uh, a businessman who was from somewhere in Canada, I believe. Vancouver is exactly what it was. Yeah. It was a man from, he was in the logging business. And um, he uh, recorded me. Hmm. Uh, he heard me sing Whispering Sea on the Buck Owens TV show. So he fell in love with the song, and his wife had just died when he heard the song. Oh, wow. Well. And, uh, yeah, so he was lonely, and he said he went out. He, he lived up in Vancouver, so I guess right by the ocean. So he went up there, and uh, he said he was sitting out on a big rock. And listening to me over and over and over. Wow. And he loved Whispering Sea. Yeah. So he wanted me to record it. So we did. We recorded um, 12 songs on an album. Yeah. And we didn't know how to get them to a disc jockey, so I filled the trunk up with them, me and my husband. Right. Of course, I was listening to my husband. He's always smarter than me. <laughs> and uh, he says, let's go and uh, give them the, the disc jockey, because so, that's the only way they'll get them. 
Yeah, and yeah. we did. Wow. Well, that tactic of driving around with the records in the trunk of your car—that obviously worked because the first single off that album, "I'm a Honky Tonk Girl," made it to number 14 on the Billboard Country Chart in 1960. That's a song that you wrote as well. I'd like to know about how you first got into writing songs of your own. Well, I don't know how, because I did it at home. You know, I just started writing. Yeah. Uh, thinking to myself, no one will ever hear them. Interesting. And uh, it was a little different than the country artist was doing, because it, it was kind of like a western swing uh, thing. Sure. Uh, of course, I was doing it myself, so I didn't realize what I was doing. I didn't know. <laughs> I thought I was just keeping up with the time. Right. And Yeah. So, But it really went for me. Yeah. So I went from there to Nashville, and um, and I'd signed with the Wilburn Brothers to write for them. Uh, Doyle and Teddy talked to Owen Bradley about me. Yeah, legendary and, producer. Um, so Owen Bradley said, yeah, we'll record her. So he grabbed me for the for that, you know. So that's how it all began. I was lucky. Huh. Yeah. It, you know, but I worked my butt off, too. I went from night to, right. from night, to night almost. <laughs> right, right. Well, I'm curious because after arriving in Nashville, you know, Owen Bradley signed you to Decca Records. And then between 1962 and 1965, you placed seven singles on the Billboard chart as a solo artist and two more in duet performances with with Ernest Tubb. Um, And all but one of your solo singles actually became a top 10 hit. And even that one exception got up to number 13. Um, So you were obviously finding a lot of solo success. But... Um, unlike your breakthrough single, I'm a Honky Tonk Girl, uh, none of these uh, hits that you were having on Decca were actually written by you. And I'm wondering why um, the fans were not seeing more of your original compositions in those early Decca days. Well, I didn't let on hear them. I didn't think I could write that good. Yeah. You know, so I was listening to everybody else's songs, and, and uh, when he heard them, he said, nobody can write for you but you. Oh. And he wouldn't let me sing nobody else's songs after that. <laughs> he made me bring my songs right in. When it's time to record, he wanted to hear me sing them. Right, right. He said he'd be the one to work, say whether they're going to go or not. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that was kind of unusual in those days. Usually the artists weren't the songwriters. Yeah, it, it kind of scared me to death, you know. So I went to Owen and said, Owen, I don't know, should we be doing this? <laughs> right. Uh, a lot of a lot of people were kind of upset with me because I walked in and started doing that kind of stuff. Right, right. And um, he said, "Yeah, we're going to do this." Yeah. <laughs> so we did it. <laughs> Let's talk about "Dear Uncle Sam" uh, from 1966, which was your first top ten hit that you that you wrote. Dear Uncle Sam, I know you're a busy man, and tonight I write to you. Don't need him like I do. 
although it's kind of hard to imagine today, that song was pretty controversial at the time. Uh, what was it like to be criticized, not just for performing a song, but for words that you wrote? Well, the Vietnam War was going on. Right, right. And that's why I wrote it. Um, hmm. Of course, I didn't know what all was going on. <laughs> right. I didn't know the fight, you know, between uh, songwriting and uh, uh, what people were thinking, right. you know, about the war. Right. I didn't know anything about it. Yeah. I never paid much attention to it because I thought if they could have wrote it, they would have. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's a good. I wasn't good too point. smart, but I was smart enough to figure that out. <laughs> right, right. Well, obviously, one of your most enduring original songs is "You Ain't Woman Enough." Women like you, there are dime a dozen you can buy anywhere. My man. I'd like to hear about the inspiration behind that one. Well, you know, I wrote from the heart. I, either I was going through whatever I was writing about or some other woman was, mm. and uh, they would talk to me about it. I was in Missouri someplace working, and this young lady come backstage, and I was in curlers, my hair was up in curlers, and she looked at me and she says, You're Loretta, and I said, Yes. And she says, Well, I want to talk to you for a minute, and I said, Okay. She says, I want you to look out there on the third row. We peeped through the curtain, you know. Right. She said, the guys are sitting on the third row, not right next to the aisle. That's my husband. The girl that's with him is his girlfriend. Mm. And I said, she said she's taking him away from me. Yeah. And I looked at her, and I looked at that gal, and I said, honey, she ain't woman enough to take your man. <laughs> I went right backstage immediately. I hung onto that line yeah. and wrote the song. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. But I, you know, I went through that uh, song with my life yeah. two times too. Sure. You know? It wasn't a bed of roses. Right, right. <laughs> well, your very first number one single on the Billboard country chart was Don't Come Home a Drinking with Lovin' on Your Mind. Well, you thought I'd be waiting up when you came home last night. Sister. Yeah, that was credited to, to you and, and your sister, Peggy Sue. Um, and I wanted to ask you about that because most of your original songs were written solo, but there are a few of them that have co-writers uh, like Don't Come Home a Drinkin'. And um, I also think of the top five single, uh, What Kind of Girl Do You Think I Am?, which is credited to you and, and Teddy Wilburn of the Wilburn Brothers, who also was, of course, uh, your, your music publisher. Um, talk a little bit about collaboration versus writing solo. Well, I, I think I'm probably, um, Teddy, you know, he was with the publishing company I was writing for. Right. And this is one of the reasons they broke up because Teddy was putting his names on a lot of the songs that I've written or started and then Teddy would help me. Yeah. They owned the company and they, they said to each other, we will not put our names on anything that our writers 
right if we do try to say, well, this line would sound better like this. Yeah. But Teddy started doing it, and Doyle didn't like it, and that's one of the big breakups that happened to him. Huh, Of course, I didn't say nothing, but uh, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it Teddy seems like... moved to L.A., and Doyle stayed in Nashville, and... Yeah, seemed like kind of a a thing that would happen more commonly back then. Is a, is a, people would get their names on songs that they didn't actually write. That's right. Yeah, they yeah. sure did. I'm fixing to uh, get into a dark room and close the door and start writing again because I haven't wrote in uh, seven or eight months. Oh well, just haven't. But that's a I'd rather write than sing. Right, right. So really, that's one of my favorite things to do. Well, good things happen when you get in that dark room and start writing. Um, you had the song Fist City in 1968, which was a number one hit. If you don't want to go to Fist City, you better detour around my town. Cause I'll grab you by the hair of the head and I'll lift you off of the ground. I'm not a saint, my baby's a saint. Cause he ain't in that he won't pat around with a kitty. I'm here to Um, but in 68, you followed that up with another big hit that year, Your Squaws on the Warpath. You know, when I hear songs like You Ain't Woman Enough, Don't Come Home at Drinking, Fist City, and Squaw, you know, they they represent a really strong, kind of feisty female perspective that was pretty unheard of in country music at that time. Were songs like that reflective of your real life, or were you writing songs kind of like a novelist would, you know, giving voice to like a fictional character? Yeah, you have to write about life. Hmm. I cannot write if I have to put on with a, a, a song, I mean, a writing. Right. I have to feel that story. Right, right. I have to be in that story, put myself completely in that story. Oh. Hmm. So you're kind of more of a of an autobiography-style writer than a... Right. I right. laughed at Jack White. He called me one day and he said, Loretta, ain't nobody writes like you. Right. I've tried to write, and I can't write like you. What's the deal? I said... Well, I just uh, told a story. I said, that's all you have to do. Right, right. And um, he still didn't get it. (laughs) (laughs) So he's still upset with my writing. That's funny. That's funny. Well, I hear songs of yours like um, To Make a Man Feel Like a Man, which was another top five hit for you in 1969. The man I've got left. And that's a song where you portray uh, a lot of self-confidence in lyrics like, lots of girls might catch his eye, but what good's a girl when a woman's close by? Um, And thinking about your songs as being autobiographical, you've been transparent about the fact that you faced uh, challenges in your marriage. Um, Did you feel as confident in real life as the lyrics to your songs would suggest, or was songwriting kind of a way for you to work up your own courage to actually be strong in your personal life? I think it helped me with, when I would write about it, it would seem like it would help me uh, get through it, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that was one of the reasons why I was writing. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I I think about if I were to, to get into a big fight with my wife and then go write a song about it. I don't know how she'd react to uh, to me putting it down in a song. How did, how well, did your husband care. react? It's your life. Yeah. 
I mean, it's your life right about it. Yeah, right, right. You're brave. <laughs> <laughs> well, you released three singles in 1970, all of which were written by you, and all of which were top five hits. I Know How, You Want to Give Me a Lift, and one of your best-known songs, Coal Miner's Daughter. That song went to number one in 1971, and I understand that you wrote more verses to that song than what we actually hear on the record. Why did you end up not recording those lyrics, and is there ever a chance that we might hear them? Well, I, I left them in the studio. Oh, wow. And don't remember how they went. Oh, wow. I said I'll have to rewrite it, but, you know, if I put more verses to it. Right. Oh, well, so you, and I may do it one day. So you don't even have the original extra verses? No, I left oh. them in the studio. Wow, wow. Not thinking anything about it because it was a story of my life and I didn't think anybody would buy the record. <laughs> <laughs> but I was going to put it on an album and that's what yeah. I did. Yeah, And yeah. they pulled it for a single. So why and did my you... My husband was the one that said, put a banjo with that. Right. And um, I never thought anything about it. The banjo really stood out in mm -hmm. that song. Yeah, it did. Why did you wind up dropping those extra verses to begin with? Well... Owen Bradley told me to. Oh, I see. Yeah, he said, uh, you don't need uh, all these verses. And right. I said, but it's a story of my life. And he said, yeah, well, you don't need them. <laughs> 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 he was kind of like my father. Right, oh. right. <laughs> yeah. I'd go to uh, Owen Bradley with, if men do had a fight, I'd talk to Owen Bradley about mm. it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Well, it sounds like uh, sounds like he knew how to be a good editor too. Yeah, he was good. Yeah, Owen Bradley was the best. Yeah, yeah, definitely made some amazing records. Yes, he did. Well, you continued to have success with your own songs in the early '70s, including the top five hits "I Want to Be Free" and "You're Looking at Country." But you also scored three top five hits written by Shel Silverstein, with um, "One's on the Way," "Here I Am Again," and "Hey Loretta." And a lot of people just know Shel as a, a poet and children's book author, and don't realize that he wrote um, songs like uh, the stuff that he did for you, as well as a "Boy Named Sue" for Johnny Cash, and he wrote "Put Another Log on the Fire." and the cover of The Rolling Stone, several songs. Um, but being a songwriter yourself, what was it that drew you to the songs of Shel Silverstein? Owen, um, I, had, I didn't, had never heard about him. Yeah. And Owen brought out all these songs that he had wrote. Right. And he said, I want you to listen to them because I think it's, uh, your life is around this. And he's, he's wrote about it. Right. And he knows how you live and how your life is. So he's he's been writing about it. Said, I want you to listen to him. Mm. Oh, I said okay, and that's how it, the ones on the way, you know, was the first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's something else. Yeah, he was quite a writer. Yeah, and <laughs> was funny. I mean, he was really. Um, you don't never get that close to it. Right, right. You know what I mean? Kinda, he didn't let you in. Kind of mysterious. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. While I was recording. Um, uh, hey Loretta, I didn't want to record it because I think I thought maybe somebody'd be 
thinking that I thought it was so good that I wrote about myself, you know. <laughs> right. And uh, Owen said, you're going to you're gonna sing it. Get in here and sing it. Right. And he was up and down the road just throwing rocks out of the driveway. <laughs> yeah, while I was recording it. Well, <laughs> that's wild. He was, he was a funny guy. A character. Yeah. You never <laughs> didn't know what he was thinking or you didn't ever get close to him. Right, right. Interesting. Well, you managed to get quite a few of your songs banned from various radio stations over the years, including Rated X, which became a number one hit in 1972, even though it had a provocative title and spoke frankly about the experiences of divorced women. Did you ever think of yourself as controversial? No, I just wrote how I felt. You know, I didn't really didn't think that they thought that much about it, but yeah, they did. They raised it, and every time that they would start uh, saying, "Well, we can't play this. This is dirty," yeah. I'd know then it was going to go number one. I wouldn't spend one penny on it. <laughs> right. <laughs> nice. I got too smart for them. Right. Right. <laughs> That's funny. Did it ever make you mad when, when there'd be controversy? Yeah, it did, because I couldn't see it. Yeah. Because um, none of the songs was a bad, I never said a bad word in any of them. Right. I mean, it, yeah. yeah, look at the way they're writing today. Right. <laughs> in fact, I'm fixing to write today, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the day, I should say. Maybe you'll stir up a little controversy. That's right. <laughs> I probably will. Um, well, you know, talking about controversy, I think maybe one of your most controversial songs was The Pill. This old maternity dress I've got is going in the garbage. The clothes I'm wearing from now on won't pick up so much yardage. Mini skirts, hot pants, and a few little fancy frills. Well, that song became a top five hit in 1975 and was almost certainly the first country song to laud the benefits of birth control. Um, And, you know, so many of your songs either spoke directly to women or served as a voice for the things that everyday women wanted to say, which we've touched on. But um, did you think of yourself as someone who primarily wrote songs for a female audience, or were you hoping to help men maybe kind of look at things in a new way as well? You know, I wasn't thinking about that. I wrote the song, and I, uh, I never thought anything about it. I mean, it wasn't dirty. Right. She was just talking about the pill. Right. And everybody took that darn, darn pill but me, and I have the kids to prove it, <laughs> you know. Right. Uh, but uh, it really it really made a lot of people mad. Yeah. yeah. But the madder they got, the higher the record went on the chart. <laughs> right, so right. Owen oh, Bradley loved it. Right, right. <laughs> well, you know... Looking back, I think at the at the type of songs that you were writing, and and obviously you're writing just very personal songs about your life. But you've been kind of 
come to be regarded as a as a feminist icon for the things you're writing. What do you think about that? Uh, is that supposed to be good or bad? <laughs> I think it's supposed to be good. Well, good. <laughs> then I'll take it. There you go. <laughs> That's nice. good. That's good. Um, well, I wanted to ask you about kind of between... 1973 and, and the year 2000, you appeared on the country chart nearly 40 more times, but almost none of those songs were actually songs that you wrote. It seemed like your songwriting for, for a pretty long period there kind of wasn't as prominent, and I'm curious why that was. Well, probably because I was working so hard. Hmm. Uh, I worked just about every night somewhere. Yeah. And did, you know, for a long time. And I had my two babies... And it was it was kind of rough on me. Yeah. Trying to take care of the family and and uh, work the road, you know. Sure. But I did it. Yeah. But I got down to ninety eight pounds. Oh wow. And mm. I knew that I was working too hard. Right. But um, I figured, well, you know, that's what I've been working for is trying to make it. Yeah. So I I, I just stepped into it. Yeah. Probably pretty hard to to find the time or the energy to write when your life is moving that fast. That's right. When you're working every night. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah you you need to sleep every minute you can. Yeah. Yeah. Were you ever the type of person that actually set out a scheduled time to write, or did you just kind of write when inspiration came to you? I wrote them on the road. Uh, wrote them wherever I was at. Yeah. Uh, if the if I get the title and or the title come to me, I wrote it. Yeah. You yeah. know, uh, no matter where I was at. Yeah, yeah, and then when I got my bus, um, it was easier for me to write because I could go back into my bedroom and close the door and write. Yeah, yeah. So that, that was good. Yeah. Well, even though you had kind of gotten away from songwriting for several years, uh, in 2004, you released the Van Leer Rose album featuring Portland, Oregon, which was a duet with Jack White, who also produced the album. Well, Now, on the Van Leer Rose album, you actually were a songwriter on every single song. So this was kind of the return to uh, recording primarily material that you wrote yourself. And that record won a ton of critical acclaim. Uh, it brought you to the attention of, of a whole new generation. Um, how did you actually end up working with Jack White? Well, me and Jack worked together in Manhattan and one more show. Yeah. And I said to Jack... Uh, he was getting ready to leave, and I said, he said he had to do something. I said, well, you know, I've got to go home and record. I said, um, I haven't got my songs picked out or anything. Right. And Jack looked at me. He said, uh, how about me recording? He said, uh, I'd like to do that. Yeah. Hmm. And I said, well, why not? It ain't going to make me or break me. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so Jack hit Nashville before I did. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was ready for me. <laughs> right. Ready to go. <laughs> yeah. But he done good. Yeah. 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 He uh, used his band and made it as country as he could do it. So right. I thought that, you know, I let him alone. I just let him. Right. I didn't do, say a thing didn't or do a thing. thing yeah. Right. Right. He uh, said, sing me uh, 10 or 11 songs. I said, one right after the other, I'll do a verse and chorus. Right. And I, 
I started, and he said, hey, they're great. Let's record them. Well, so that's the way well, it went. Well, you know, one of my favorite songs on the record, uh, and I think for a lot of people, uh, is Miss Being Mrs., which is a really personal song. I lie here all along In my bed of memories I'm dreaming of your sweet kiss Oh, how you loved on me I can almost feel you with me Here in this blue moonlight Oh, I miss being Mrs. Tonight. Tell us a bit about that one. Well, that song uh, was thought about uh, another girl that um, I wrote wrote it with. She wanted to, she was wanting to write one day, and, and I'd just come home for a day. Right. And I said, well, uh, you know, I hate to write today because it's the only day I've got home. Right, yeah. And um, she come up with the title. She said, uh, how about writing one called I Miss Ben Missus? And I hmm. said, well, why not? We yeah. wrote everything else, <laughs> and uh, we wrote it that day. Wow. So come home for a day and write a song. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. Well, it's a great one. Thank you. Um, you know, we mentioned that you've uh, you've got this new album, Full Circle, that just came out recently, and uh, it wasn't one of the... Wasn't one of the ones that you wrote, but the uh, last song on the album is a duet with with Willie Nelson, and I think you are probably two of the finest songwriters that there ever were. How did that come about? I love Willie. Yeah, I've always uh, loved Willie. He, me and him started out about the same time, and we got shows on the road together, but we never did get together and write or anything like that. I was bashful. Yeah. When it comes to me going up and talking to people and saying, "Hey, let's write a song," you know. Right, and at that time he was writing for Patsy, sure. And um, so I did, and he was writing more flavorable, you know, than I was. Yeah, he uh, wrote above me, hmm. so I, you know, I I just thought he was a great writer, and he did. He really cut his teeth on Patsy Cline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got some great hits and wrote some You're great not songs. A kid. Yeah, yeah. And so he'd go out on the road. He was fronting the show for. Uh, uh, Ray Price, yeah. and when I'd go, when I was singing uh, with Willie, and um, he he would um, open up the show with one of somebody else's songs, and I was wondering why he was doing that. Right. And I found out he wrote all the songs. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hello, Walls. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Burn Young. Yeah. Well, your sisters, Peggy Sue and Crystal Gale, both found success in country music, and you were the writer of the debut single for each of them. Um, Peggy Sue hit the top 30 with I'm Dynamite in 1969, and Crystal fell just shy of the top 20 with I've Cried the Blues Right Out of My Eyes the following year. Um, Now, were these songs that you had originally planned to record yourself, or were these things that you wrote specifically for your sister's sister? Yes, I was trying to write. Owen Brady told me if they ever found a hit song, he would record them. Yeah. And you ain't going to find a hit song uh, every day. Right. Or in a a person writes a hit song, they're not going to give them to you because you've never had one out the sisters hadn't. Right. So they didn't want to trust me with that. Yeah. So um, I had to write their first songs. Yeah, And yeah. Owen got upset with me because he said, 
I should be writing for myself, you know. <laughs> well, I was trying to write for myself, too, but I was trying to, you know, get Crystal on a label and Peggy right. Sue, my sister, and my brother, Jay Lee. I wrote his first one. Wow. I come home with drinking to a worn-out wife like you. He answered, "Don't come home with drinking." I was gonna, I was gonna ask you what you thought of somebody taking uh, "Don't come home with drinking" and, and writing a response song to it. I didn't realize that it was actually you were the one behind the whole thing, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Oh, mercy! You answered yourself. <laughs> we had to do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, music obviously runs in your family, and not only did your siblings find country music success, but your twin daughters Peggy and Patsy recorded for Reprise Records in the late 1990s, and they got CMA nominations for Vocal Duo of the Year two years in a row. And now your granddaughter, Emmy Rose, is writing and recording songs of her own. She is the sweetest little thing, and she she writes great. Yeah. And, but she she gets upset so easy if she thinks somebody don't like her, you know, and I say, hey. You might as well get used to that and forget it. <laughs> right, right. Just say that so-and-so don't like me and just keep on going. Yeah. You, uh, If you pay attention to it, you might as well stay home. Yeah, yeah. Well, I saw her open for you a couple years ago at the Ryman there in Nashville, and I was really impressed. Yeah, she's good. Yeah. She wrote a song, uh, Mama's Guitar. Yeah. I gave the guitar to Patsy not long ago, and she took the guitar and wrote a song called Mama's Guitar. Yeah. Yeah. And she had me crying, and she was crying on the stage. Right. We looked at one another and said, we, we don't need to be out here like this. <laughs> right, right. So, you know, with your, watching your granddaughter kind of begin that journey of being a singer and songwriter, what, what kind of advice do you give her? You know, you can't give advice. Hmm. You just have to let them find it themselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, she she knows everything that I have done, and um, she knows it's not easy. Right. But she's writing in a different uh, thing, and I the way I wrote, you know. Mm, sure. She's more polished. Yeah, yeah. Me, kinda. I don't come home drinking or Fish City or You Ain't Woman Up. I mean, these songs are just plain old country music, <laughs> right. and we need some of that today. Yeah, yeah that's true. Because right. all the songs that come out today are not country; they're pop. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or there was back when I was started. Yeah, yeah, you that's know, true. Was, they were pop songs. Right, right. But it's changed. Yeah, yeah, a lot. Yeah, I guess that over time the, the music just kind of goes different directions. So I'll just write my own to heck with everybody else, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that's all you can do. <laughs> that's right. Nobody is going to write as bad as I do because they're too polished. So I just... Uh, I just keep going. Right, yeah. right. Well, you know, I think it's really refreshing to hear somebody who's a songwriter but also an artist who had a lot of success, but you didn't try to be something you weren't. You did you weren't calculated. You just kind of wrote from who you were I and people liked it. Never changed. Yeah. I just started singing and uh you know, I had to do what I knew. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in addition to being a prolific songwriter, you sound like somebody who's been on the road a lot, just always working night after night and still. And when you have a catalog like this, and we've really only scratched the surface of, of how many incredible songs you've written and how many charted that, that people know, um, how do you go about even picking a set list of, of what kind of songs you're going to play for an audience these days? You know, I need to work up some of the songs that, that wasn't, Number one, yeah. right. if I hit number ten or number fifteen. You know, right, right. I need to work up some of them. Yeah, just, uh, wouldn't hurt to do a whole show of songs that 
was top ten or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess that's a, a good problem to have is if you've had so many hits, you don't even get a chance to get to the ones below the top ten. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, it's hard when you start looking, you know, at your songs. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, we've sure enjoyed looking at all your songs today, and, and like Paul said, just really scratching the surface. There's just so many wonderful Loretta Lynn uh, classics that you have given us, and it is truly an honor for us to have you join us for this very special 50th episode of our Songcraft podcast. And uh, thank you for your time, and thank you for your wonderful music. Well, thank you, honey. I'm glad to talk to you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about our guests, stream episodes, get a sneak peek at upcoming interviews, or to contact us with your feedback, visit songcraftshow.com. While you're there, sign up for our mailing list so you can stay up to date with everything that's happening in the Songcraft universe. We'd love to stay connected with you, so please like our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash songcraftshow. And if you enjoy what we're doing here at Songcraft, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review on iTunes, which truly helps potential listeners discover these conversations. And we look forward to getting together with you again for the next episode of Songcraft.